Hi, this is Dr. Steven with OutClick Magazine. Today we want to bring you Pat Zeiser, who is the Executive Director here at History Fort Lauderdale. We're going to be talking about where the boys are. It is the 60th anniversary of the movie that was taped here in Fort Lauderdale. Patricia, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. We were chatting before about all of the amazing uh, history that's here in Fort Lauderdale, some of the cultural shifts and changes that have gone on. It's been fascinating. But uh, first, I want you to tell everyone about what is History Fort Lauderdale, what, uh, what are the services you provide and events. I think you could probably talk forever about that. But give us a snapshot for someone who has maybe not heard of it. Uh, what is History Fort Lauderdale about? So History Fort Lauderdale is the uh, uh, public name of the Fort Lauderdale Historical Society. It's the oldest um, historical agency in, in the county, formed in 1962 by a group of pioneer families that realized um, some of the old timers were starting to um, age age significantly and the stories might be lost. So the Historical Society was formed in 1962. The first thing they did was publish a book called Checkered Sunshine. Since then we have published multiple, multiple books. Um, but the Historical Society or History Fort Lauderdale today is three museums of history, one general history, one pioneer house museum and one schoolhouse museum right on the New River, just uh, four blocks east of the Broward Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, our main museum is the New River Inn, which is the 1905 building uh, first admitted, the very first building in Broward County admitted to the National Register. Uh, unique, kind of a unique building, the first uh, hollow concrete blocks building built by a shipbuilder and not by an architect. And um, a cool piece of a cool piece of Fort Lauderdale history just in its in the building itself. Um, we are also the um, certified visitor information center for Visit Florida. So we see well over a hundred thousand visitors a year, um, some of them actually visiting the museum, some of them coming in for information on what to do around town. And, um, you know, that's that's a cool part of our business too. The last piece is we are um, also a research uh, agency. So we are Hoke Library. We're six buildings total in our campus. Our Hoke Research Library is a, a go-to source for authors, genealogists, property, uh, attorneys, you name it, uh, as far as the history of land use, the history of, you know, the town, those kind of things. So any day of the week, today we have a, a Dr. Pittman in, she's working on the history of the Northwest neighborhood, African-American neighborhood. Um, we'll have an author in, we are constantly, I was consulted two weeks ago by the um, uh, Wall Street Journal, on, uh, on architectural issues. So we never know, we know who's going to walk in the door or give us a call. But the uh, library itself is uh, the largest collection uh, or the largest collecting museum in Broward County. And the library itself is filled with um, approximately 3,500 rare books, most of them out of print. Uh, our collection includes about approximately 5,000 sets of architectural blueprints, historical buildings, 2,500 historic maps going back to the 1500s. We have a Spanish map in the collection. Um, we have, uh, don't laugh, uh, also a, a, a newspaper clippings files started in uh, 1915 
and still updated today. So uh, I know paper is sort of not, but historical studies love paper. So there's a lot of paper here. But the library does a lot of work and believe it or not, our clippings file is probably the most used piece of resource we have for the community because it is uh, completely bibliography and searchable and um, you know pretty thorough, you know, and has uh, 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 newspaper clippings were taken from the Fort Lauderdale Daily News, the Miami Herald, you know, so it's a good mix of the story of those times from 1915 on. Mm. So you are preserving the past, uh, you're working with artists and authors, uh, researchers, and you are serving the people who are coming to visit and who are and helping to promote travel. So you have a, a lot of areas that you are serving and in several different facilities, it sounds like that. Correct, yes. And I, I, and I neglected to mention, I should have, so our main museum is three floors and okay. our downstairs floor um, was kind of not engaged when I first came here six years ago. So what we managed to do there is we have uh, transitional exhibits and we tie them to the National History Month. So for example, down there right now today is an is a um, Native American exhibition of Seminole and Miccosukee uh, uh, visual artists. Uh, and of course, uh, November is Native American History Month. Um, um, in the new year, in February, we'll have, we always, uh, for the African American History Month in February, um, we have a, a partnership with Broward County Schools and we feature some of the amazing uh, talented artists that are at the Magnet School at Dillard Center for the Arts, uh, visual nice. artists, amazing. So uh, then on our third floor, our third floor was sort of a storage area, not really engaged. And today it houses uh, an artist co-op called the New River Arts Co-op. And um, what we tried to engage there were uh, artists that would have been necessary to the 1905 New River Inn. So there's a quilter there. There's an art. There's a glass artist there. There's you know. So there's there's a lot of different um, mediums in the in uh, of the folks who are working upstairs. And their seventh partner is a blacksmith, obviously because of the historic house. The blacksmith's not permitted inside, but he's outside for our outdoor engagement opportunities. So it's kind of a cool, you know. This is kind of how arts were done in 1905, and it carries on sort of the story of the original New River Inn. Mm. You have school children under non-COVID conditions that come through, I think. Yeah. Is that right? yeah, we see thousands of those of students a year. Of course, this year is a little different, an anomaly, mm -hmm, but hopefully as soon as we have a vaccine, we'll see those again. Uh, see those again. There's a lot of, you and I were chatting before the video, the scope of all the things that you have going on. I'm not surprised, I can't believe there's not like five of you trying to get all of these projects done. Uh, but we were chatting about the fascinating history of Fort Lauderdale. I'm from Kentucky, which is very different. And we, you, I learned a lot just in our chat before the video. Um, up and coming is your ex um, exhibition at the Galleria Fort Lauderdale Mall, uh, Where the Boys Are, the famous movie uh, with Connie Francis. It was released in 1960. This is obviously its 60th anniversary, if I have the numbers right. Uh, tell us about the movie. Uh, what We can talk all day about the movie. Tell us about the movie. It was so iconic. Uh, tell us about that, Patricia. Well, first of all, it was a really fun experience for uh, folks 14 and up in 1960 because there was a call put out by the movie producers for general extras. So there, you'll, there were still people today who were extras on that movie who loved to have a reunion of extras. So there are okay. folks locally to us who were actually in the movie. Um, they used a lot of extras on the beach because it was to look like a spring break, which would have been 
like the months March, April, sometime in there, but they recorded in the summertime. So they needed a lot of locals too. So that was a real fun experience. Um, the newspapers and reporting, everything was about, this was the biggest thing that had come to town like ever. So it was, the event itself was really significant. And then um, the post event, the actual premiere of the movie, which went nationwide distribution on the 28th of December of the same year, but the premiere was here, which was, you know, it was a small town to have a movie premiere with all the Hollywood stars and the glamour was December 21st, 1960 at the Gateway Theater, which is still on Sunrise Boulevard, uh, sort of, you know, lovely place to go visit and still see movies. And um, it was a really, really big deal for the town. You can imagine it was a small, still kind of a small town at that in those days. And um, it was a really big deal. So that was the first kind of, you know, immediate effect locally of having a Hollywood, you know, a Hollywood team come in and do this kind of a movie. But then post the release, what nobody local expected was that it was immediately the beaches were inundated with college students in the following year after the movie had mm. been released. So it was kind of like not even not even wildly in the imagination of local folks that they would have so many people come and try to come to Fort Lauderdale Beach on spring break. So it kind of created a whole new industry on Fort Lauderdale Beach to, you know, hotels had to make adjustments because even as you see in the beach, I mean, these are college students on spring break. This is not grandma and grandpa who are going to bed at nine o'clock at night, right? So it's a little bit different. Um, so a different kind of, um, you know, different crowd to cater to. And that went on for many, many years and was a huge boom to the economy here. It was really sort of the birth of the modern tourism industry in Broward County. And when you think in um, 1900, when the first folks came here, they came for sports fishing. And it wasn't like they weren't coming for the beach or the climate. You know, they were coming for a whole different, this is a whole different piece of business, which still today is a major driving economic force in our county. So I think that's, it's kind of the immediate impact locally and then the ripples that went all the way through to today which is you know still you know who knows i mean we've changed a lot but i think spring break is still a big time for us i'm not sure it's as big um of a college crowd as it is just an international crowd now on fort lauderdale beach which is kind of cool to see that transition yeah yeah i used to be the organist and choir director at the sanctuary church here on federal and I remember uh, people here telling the stories and showing the picture when it was almost a dirt road and people saying, oh, people will never go to church way out there. Mm -hmm. And they thought that was so far away from downtown when that church was built. Of course, it you know became this huge you know, congregation. Well, of course, that's not anywhere near, you know, way far from downtown. That's now prime real estate. But I thought that was interesting when the church was built. It was so far from downtown, no one would go way out there. Well, of course, right now that's, you know, the prime highway. If you keep in perspective, what people thought was way out there on the country road that now is the prime real estate that's right there next to the car dealerships and how far we have gone. Um, but yes, yeah, so this was such a game changer for us as far as travel, tourism, food, and beverage hotel, because it, draw, it drew the attention into Fort Lauderdale. What a great and fun city this was. Uh, it was at the Elbow Room. Is down right there on Fort Lauderdale Beach. If you want to maybe tell us a little bit about that, yeah. Elbow Room was sort of ground zero for the for the um, filming of the movie as mm -hmm. far as the um, external shots. 
So in the exhibition, you're going to see a lot of photographs of Elbow Room and the the um, the film crew working and the extras lining up with the stars of the movie kind of to do a shot and getting some direction. So that was really ground zero because it really was at the time sort of the, um, the main hub on the beach, the Elbow Room right there in Los Olas Boulevard, sort of iconic. Los Olas was the very first causeway that um, the Causeway Bridge on Los Olas was completed in 1917. So it was the very first way to get to beach by motor vehicle. Up until 1917, in those early days, the only way to get for, to Fort Lauderdale Beach for the early pioneers was by boat. So for Las Olas was always sort of the main drag, especially back in those days. And um, it was the, you know, the way folks got to beach. Because I remember, you know, when I came as a kid, it was either, um, I came in 1963 as a young child to Fort Lauderdale. So it was either Las Olas or the 17th Street Causeway. But for folks who were more pioneer than me, 17th Street Causeway was later because it didn't come until after World War II. So the main way to the beach was Las Olas. So that, yeah, Elbow Room was Elbow Room. And across the street from it, there was a hotel. I sort of remember it as a Holiday Inn when I was a young girl, but um, since now it's a parking lot. But in, our, in the photographs, you'll see uh, across from Elbow Room, there was this Holiday Inn hotel. And then there were, you know, sort of a lot of um, sort of motel, um, two and three story, you know, sort of drive, you know, the, the motel sort of post-World War II, a lot of the beach back then was like that. It's not, was not the tall towers and the, um, the the iconic names that you think of today on Fort Lauderdale Beach, like the Four Seasons and the Conrad Hilton and the W and the Atlantic Hotel, all those beautiful uh, um, uh, iconic places that are there today. It was more sort of mom and pop drive-in sort of motels that were on the beach in those days. Not so many. Like there was a Lauderdale Beach Hotel, which was an iconic um architectural piece of the of the mid-century modern, sort of like um, South Beach, that same kind of style. Um, the facade of that is still there. It's wrapped around an amazing condominium project that was done by the um, the related group today. Okay. And then the the post-World War II that still sort of looks the same is the, uh, what today is called the B Ocean, but in, you know, everybody who's been here a long time calls it the um, Yankee Clipper, the one that's just, mm -hmm the very first hotel on the south end of the public beaches. And that was you know, a post-World War II amazing construction um, a project by the Gill family, which was um, the Gill family was very involved in those years, post-World War II hotels, and also uh, a huge amount of home building uh, on that uh, because the, the big boom in Fort Lauderdale post-World War II was with the GI Bill and um, soldiers coming home from World War II that were able to, you know, finance a home that way. So that's kind of how um, the big boom post-World War II happened here before the movie. Mm. Yes, the, the, the B Ocean is so iconic with the style, the style of that. Some of those little uh, uh, motels, I don't know if they're still around, but those iconic looks right there at the beach. Um, it's such a, I love the blend of architecture that we have uh, there on Fort Lauderdale Beach. I was looking it up online. It um, was uh, won Laurel Awards for Best Comedy of the Year, Best Comedy Actress for Paula uh, Presentis. Um, but we were talking to you about the cultural shifts. Oh, I want Arthur to play the clip. So we, we were researching it, watched the video from 10 years ago when they did the 50th anniversary. And uh, Connie Francis came, if you want to play the video, and when they named uh, uh, the corner of uh, A1A and Los Olas, uh, Los, uh, Connie Francis Corner. So we're gonna play that little clip when she was there 
Um, and she sang, and she got up, and she said, I'm so emotional, I don't know if I can sing or not, but she was so cute in the video. But we, we want to play that because it's it's so iconic. Uh, if we can get that going. So he's, he's working on that in the background. Yeah. Um, but yes, Fort Lauderdale Beach, obviously now, is just so much fun. There's always something going on. Uh, we've got Pride Fort Lauderdale that goes on down there. There's all the music festivals that go on down there. Um, and just, you know, the shift that we've seen um, in so much. Of course, COVID has changed things so much, but I think things will, obviously, I know things will come back. Yeah. But, um, and, and Connie stayed a Fort Lauderdale resident all these years since the movie. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She so, still lives here. Yeah. Uh, the, the clip is there on one A. It pulls it over. So he's going to pull it over. Okay, perfect. Oh, cool. Let me share mine. It's this one. I was actually at this event as a. Oh yeah. I directed Sun Trolley for the city of Fort Lauderdale before I came here. This was a cool event, really fun. Mm -hmm. And that's Mayor Seiler with Con. Full screen. And that's uh, Romney Rogers, who was commissioner back then with, uh, and and Bruce Roberts, who was commissioner also. Charlotte Rodstrom. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Great. And Connie's just published a new book. That was so cute. That was one of my favorite clips. Yeah. 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 Um, so you've got the exhibition coming up. Tell us what's going to be on at the exhibition. It's there at the Gallery of Florida. Tell us about that, Patricia. So the exhibition is uh, 40 um, historic photos from both the shoot itself and the production time of the movie, and then post-production, the um, actual um, shots of the premiere at the Gateway Theater with um, the Hollywood okay. folks rolling up with the red carpet and the whole thing. Of course, the shots back okay. then, which are black and whites, um, so it's mm -hmm. a, kind of a, a cool artsy uh, look at what Fort Lauderdale Beach looked like in 1960 and 1961. And then, of course, you know, with the, your comparison is your own experience today, right? So there's a very mm -hmm. big difference. But um, um, it, it uh, the only thing that I don't think the exhibition shows or that, you're, you know, you, you kind of have to take my word on it is the explosion of people that came to Fort Lauderdale Beach after this movie. Because it was, mm -hmm. and we've all experienced it living here, you know, the the little mom and pop hotels that are now been transformed into the Conrad Hilton Hotel and some of the other big or the W, you know, all those little mom and pop places that were, that was, and when I came as a girl to Fort Lauderdale Beach, that was sort of all of the hotels on the beach were that way. They were sort of um, motel drive-ins, you know, they weren't, no parking garages, <laughs> you know, that was mm -hmm. kind of how it was, you know, and, and mm -hmm. um, think about w what's happened to this beach and in, in that in that time period is pretty amazing. You know, when you think of the Ritz Carlton and all those huge big hotels that we visit and, you know, uh, go to receptions at and meetings now today. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, you know, the, the bar, some are large enough to actually have small convention groups in them themselves. It's, you know, it's a totally different picture than the beach of the, of the movie time. And yeah. it's kind of fun to think about one, um, 
Hollywood film that sort of impacted generationally, generationally um, the development of a town. It's kind of cool. Yeah, how it changed everything. It changed everything. You and I were chatting too before the video about some of the cultural, other cultural shifts, um, how uh, the not everyone was represented in the film, and I didn't uh, perceive that. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit about what happened maybe a year or two later um, sure. um, after the film, because I think that was really fascinating, Patricia, if you want to tell us about that. And I think it's critically important, particularly with under, you know, with the current climate of our country. So mm -hmm. the movie itself was on Fort Lauderdale Beach on a segregated white beach. There was no person of color in the movie. So, you know, it kind of, you know, a, a symptom of the times. And um, Fort Lauderdale Beach at the time of the recording of the movie or the filming was a segregated whites only beach. And there was what's called termed a colored beach where an African-American citizen could sunbathe as well. But that was a very restricted site in Dania, which is today the Eula Johnson and Von Meisel State Park. So I immediately after the movie, the very next summer, which would have been exactly at the same time the crew was here, here filming in 1960. In 1961, Eula Johnson, a very famous African-American activist, first female president locally of the NAACP and Dr. Mizell, staged what was called wade-ins, walking into the water. And what they did was they brought a very peaceful group of African-American citizens right to that exact same corner, Los Solis and A1A, and they just walked into the waters there. Of course, the police were called. There were, you know, I'm sure there were arrests. I mean, but this was a, a, a peaceful civil demonstration uh, by African-American citizens of the town who had had sort of enough is enough, you know, beach should be for everybody. This is what Fort Lauderdale calls a public beach. So we're part of the public. So that was, and could very likely, um, you know, I haven't uh, really discussed this with our African-American consultants, but it could have been a catalyst, you know, the movie being so popular that there was sort of a final push on the part of the African-American leadership locally to do something about this. And it, it actually did bring the court cases that desegregated Fort Lauderdale Beach and made that uh, the law of the of the city could no longer if you restrict people to certain places to 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 sell to experience the beach. Mm -hmm. um, a really important piece of of um, legislation when you figure that an African American citizen post pre World War II, they're, uh, they're, if they had a child college age or high school age, that high school child could not even receive an an, an a, a diploma in this in Broward County because it was considered mm -hmm. that an African American child would not do anything but work in the field or be a, lay, a day laborer. So they would not they would not need a high school diploma to go into college. So when you look at the these are folks who are still alive today who had this experience, who their parents had to send them to a relative or a friend or a church in Dade County so that their, their children could get a high school diploma so that they could then apply to go to university. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's not civil war times. It's, it's, people who are alive today. And then you figure the very famous African-American attorney who we just lost last year, George Allen, brought the suit to integrate Broward County Schools in 1970. 1970, this is not like 
ancient history. So, you know, this Jim Crow South, it was a very prevalent here. And because so many of us are transplants from the North that didn't have these experiences, I think it's important for us to know that this was the African-American experience of Broward County and have some empathy and understanding of the people who had these experiences. So, you know, the movie might have been part of the catalyst, but that 1960s in Fort Lauderdale was a game changer as far as the African-American community with the idea that finally we had integrated schools, you know, toward the end of that decade, 1970 was when that that legend, that um, suit was brought. And that was probably a development through this whole decade of, you know, enough is enough. Enough. I mean, I mean, we are doing research right here at our uh, at our museum, getting ready for an African American permanent exhibition. And you figure it was very clearly stated in a 1926 ordinance by the city of Fort Lauderdale, the geographical boundaries of the area that an African American citizen could live, and there was no they could not set outside those boundaries after sunset. I mean. When you realize that those kind of restrictions were placed on people, it gives you a, a real sense of the, um, the, 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 the injustice of the times. And there are people alive today that had those experiences. Mm -hmm. I guess we think, think about almost a repression of COVID and how we've been locked in and all of the parameters that have been forced on us. Uh, those people felt it all the time and they didn't know when it was going to be. It's almost maybe some similarities there, but um, that's an excellent, that were, that's yeah. an excellent as comparison. You, mm -hmm. And as you and I were chatting before the video, this was basically yesterday in the history of mankind. This was not two, three hundred years ago. In the, in, if you look at how old some countries are and how old America is, this was yesterday in the history of, in the history of mankind. This was not, you know, this was just 50, 60 years ago, which from my age um, is kind of hard to fathom that this is so, so, uh, so close to today. Um, but yes, I can't, I almost can't imagine it because it was difficult in having all those parameters and to think that that was basically the way of life and no one questioned it. Uh, it's, it's almost hard to imagine in America. Well, in our research, especially on the redlining practices, that ordinance I mentioned, the part of the problem mm -hmm. there was that the people who were being restricted by those laws were not economically in a position where they could bring suit against it. It, it, uh -huh. it, uh, the uh, legal folks who are consulting with this have said, in 1926, the city attorney would have counseled the city commissioners that that law was illegal because the post, the changes, uh, the, the, uh, the post -war, uh, Civil War to the, the United States Constitution outlawed that kind of geographical corralling of people, uh -huh. but it was just overlooked. And the whole idea was an African-American person wouldn't have the knowledge or the um, uh, 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 you know, the dollars to bring forth a, a legal, any kind of litigation to challenge that kind of an ordinance. And the first challenge, because this was common across the South, this wasn't just Fort Lauderdale. I mean, these are mm -hmm. battles that were fought in multiple towns in multiple places across the South. Mm -hmm. But um, that it wasn't till post-World War II that the very first litigation was brought to challenge these restrictive covenants that were in place uh, largely across the South. You know, the, you know, the Jim Crow laws that had to be shot down one by one post-World War II. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, when you when you think about it in South Florida today, I mean, I actually live, my son and I, I actually live in the geographical area that was considered African-American in 1926. And it specifically says in the ordinance that no white person may live in this neighborhood. Wow. So I kind of went home and told my son, oh my gosh, you know, if it was 26, we wouldn't be allowed to live here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like when you, you know, it's, it's very hard to imagine that today, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, this is restrictions that were put on people who are still to, alive today. Mm -hmm. you know, when I was at Sun Trolley, one of my board members, who I, just an amazing local gentleman, he's also a former president of NAACP, he remembers as a young boy going on that ferry to what they called then the, the colored beach, where they mm -hmm. were, you know, that was the only place an African-American person was permitted to, to go into the ocean in Broward County. Mm -hmm. Now, I used to work at the University of Kentucky. I was there for 12 years, and there are large placards um, and signs across the university for the milestones. And I remember specifically the one that says, and that gives the date in the history of when uh, they integrated the University of Kentucky. And I thought yeah. there was a day when that was not permitted. And that was a milestone in the university's history. And just, you know, as a student thinking, I can't imagine it would be, but there was a time and place. And then when that changed, and it was interesting to see that, you know, that in writing when they had to do it. But people need to come see your exhibition at the Galleria. That was a game changing movie it changed it turned fort lauderdale uh just on its ear uh in so many ways i want arthur to put up the website uh it's there on the gallery galleria fort lauderdale's website the movie's a lot of fun um and so you've got just this great exhibition patricia i'm really glad that you put this together and to celebrate this unfortunately we can't have the big bash on the beach this year like they did before we were watching the video before and one of the people they interviewed said he was an extra in the movie mm. as you were saying and he said my job was to sit on the beach and drink beer and i got paid for it and uh <laughs> it was it was that was really cute it but, is um good. yeah yeah so tell us the dates of when people can go see the exhibition and where it is in the mall Sure. Okay. So in uh, in the Galleria, this is right by Swarovski's uh, Crystal. Um, and it's, I'm sure folks will be able to guide you there because they have wonderful staff. But the exhibition mm -hmm. opens on the 3rd of December and continues through January 3rd. So it's a full month. And it's kind of a neat sort of sneak peek into the beach we know and love today, but how it looked. It's been completely transformed today. So it's kind of cool mm -hmm. to see now and then, you know, you know, before and after kind of photos of, of Fort Lauderdale Beach. So, um, and I'm happy, I'd be really excited to hear um, comments from your, your audience, you know, who maybe have a chance to see it and, you know, what they're interested in seeing, you know, because we, part, our collection is over 400,000 historic photos. So wow. this is not the only collection we've got. No. So there's lots of other things to see and um, sort of experience post current day, you know, kind of a before and after. So we're happy to have folks go visit there and leave their comments. And any of your, any, any comments mm -hmm. come through to you, I hope you'll forward to me so we can respond to folks. Absolutely. Is there a charge to see the exhibition or? No, no? Absolutely. It's, open. it's open. So if you're mm -hmm. going shopping, you have to go by, especially because you can wander through and see, I believe, I know where the space is there. So yeah. this is great. We're going to put up your uh, website, your social media, so people can view it at your historyfortlauderdale.org so people can see it online. There's more information, uh, website, social media, and I could uh, carry your pigeon and two cans on a string or however they want to get in touch with you. Um, but this has been a joy. We could talk all day. There's so much fascinating history here. Um, and we'll learn more about your locations and about your exhibitions coming. Uh, we'll maybe have some LGBT issues, but we work with all kinds of people. So, uh, but you're, 
Yeah, I was a math major in college, so learning all of the history is fascinating for me because I, uh, it's all added to my knowledge base. So um, our email or our uh, connection is if you want to text OCQ to 22828 to get on our email list. Uh, Patricia, is there anything you wanted to add uh, or cover that I didn't ask before we wrap it up? No, um, just to, if, if folks have a chance to see the exhibition, get in comments and um, be sure and watch our social media or website for our other cool really exhibitions coming up. Okay, you all have a lot of fascinating things and so many different areas. There's a lot to explore. So we do. Thank you for joining us, everyone. And again, go see the uh, exhibition on where the boys are. It's a fascinating slice of Fort Lauderdale history. Go by and see it. Uh, go by, Patricia might be there. She might give you a tour one day. So, all right, everyone, have a great afternoon. We'll talk to you soon.